So anyway, I'm lost. Needless to say, I pulled over. This guy's working in his, uh, in his yard, and I say, hey, man, I'm supposed to be in morning sport. And he was like, well, man, that's 25 miles that way. And I was like, yeah, I kind of figured, but I don't know where that way is. Can you help me? And so he says, you know, as you kind of do in the country, well, you go up to the big oak tree, and you hang a right at this and that. And he could tell that I was so confused. I had no idea how to get back on the right road. So he hopped off his lawnmower, and he said, hey, follow me. He jumped in his truck and uh, took off. Uh, to the main thing, I followed him to the right thing. You know, he kind of waved at me in my ignorance, you know, like, oh, this guy will never make it home. Uh, and, and I did, eventually. And uh, A.W. Tozer, uh, this famous theologian of the past century, has this famous quote, and I've used it before. He says, a scared world needs a fearless church. And I believe that. As the world puts their hope in things that aren't secure, namely in this season, even our health, um, there's nothing um, that is secure about these things. And as the, as, as the world puts their hope in things that will eventually fade away, the church needs to be fearless. We need to point the world to the place where we can put our hope in something that is unshakable and unmovable. But I want to take that quote to really another level this morning um, and say this, a confused world needs a transformed church. A confused world needs a transformed church. Nobody knows exactly what to believe. Nobody knows what exactly to trust in. Nobody knows what exact news source we should be watching. Everyone has differences of opinions on everything. Have you not noticed that, that people's opinions today, I'm sure we've always had opinions, they're just stronger and more galvanized, and we feel like the world has got to hear what I think about this thing. Not many months into our marriage, Ashley came to me after uh, we had been out with some friends, and she said, you know what, Luke, just because you think it doesn't mean you have to share it. And I was like, man, that's good wisdom. I think I should apply that, right? A confused world needs a transformed church. A church not playing games, not a group claiming one thing but doing another. Listen, the days of lifeless religion are over, at least I hope they are. I think that's been exposed. No one's attending a Christian evangelical church today so that they can, you know, better be positioned to sell life insurance or use cars. I don't think that, I think that's over with. We are certainly in post-Christian culture and we're headed further there. And I pray what that does is it galvanizes our hope and the only thing that's worthy of real hope, and that is Jesus Christ. That song we just sang, Christ alone, our cornerstone. Through all of life's ups and downs, that should be the one thing that we hold on to. The author of Hebrew paints this picture that we would hold unswervingly to the hope that we have in Jesus. As long as we are tethered to him, no matter what happens, as long as we are tethered to him then we can walk through the most difficult circumstances and we can do it with great joy. The confused world around us needs a transformed church. And I pray that that's who we are, that we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Those early Christians got the name Christian in Acts 17. They were calling them Christians first at Antioch because they looked like little Christ, the way that Christ would love and forgive and um, and he wasn't very PC about many things. He would go in places that he shouldn't go as a Jew, and yet he would go there to extend the love of God to them. Jesus offers this to us, a way to follow and a way forward. Last week we talked about the invitation of Jesus, if you watched it. 
And um, this is just a little mini-series that uh, I'm entitled, uh, Just Like Jesus. There's a book that Max Licata wrote several years ago. I think it was Max Licata or Philip Yancey, one of those two, that uh, just, it was phenomenal. As I read it, that phrase is stuck in my head, and I pray that the world would see that in us, that we're not perfect, but far from perfect, but we're being transformed into the image of Jesus so that when people see us, we smell like Jesus. We look like Jesus. We operate like Jesus, that we have the same values as he had. When we look through the Gospels and we read them, it's very familial to us because we're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So last week we talked about this invitation to follow Jesus. Just as I needed a guide on that way home when I was lost, we need a guide, not just directions. We need a guide through life, and this is what Jesus offers us, both the way and the power as we follow him. Our lives, again, are being transformed by the power, by his power to the extent that we offer the world what it needs the most, transformation, a living and humble example of a better way, that following Jesus is the better way. So last week was invitation. Today I want to talk about direction. When we follow Jesus, we are headed in a specific direction. Ultimately, we're headed in the way of the cross. We'll get to that next week. But just the direction piece. Jesus doesn't just leave us where we are. He doesn't just point and say, this is what I need you to do to be righteous. I need you to go up here. I need you to hang a left. And I need you to take, you know, go about another mile and go this way. No, Jesus goes before us and invites us to follow him. Come and follow me. He doesn't just tell his disciples how to love. He shows us what actually loving others really looks like. He doesn't point and tell people, you know what, you should serve the least of these. No, we see Jesus going before us, doing that over and over. Loving the last and serving the least and befriending the lost. And he's he's invited us to follow him in that direction. Our passage today is in John 8. If you brought a uh, Bible with you, I encourage you to turn there. John 8, you'll see through Scripture there are many, many passages that start with this kind of framework. If you want to be my disciples, this is the same thing we looked at last week, and we're going to keep doing this for a couple weeks. If you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, then you take up your cross and follow me last week. This is a little different. It says in verse 30, as I back up, I don't think I have this one on the screen. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. In verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews, this is John 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You've heard that passage before. You see the clarification and invitation of Jesus. Hey, listen, let's forget about the religious games for a minute. If you really want to be my disciples, here's the context. The passage right above that many Jews, right, who didn't necessarily believe in that Jesus was the Messiah, but there was a Messiah to come. They were not believing in him. And yet here's a group of people that began to believe in him. As he was saying these things in verse 30, many believed in him. So Jesus then said to the Jews who believed in him, he's inviting them to follow him, yes, but even more than that, to follow him in the direction that he is going on the way to the cross. The section of this discourse, again, is addressed to people who believe, yet still they don't believe. Clearly they were inclined to think that what Jesus was saying was true, but they were not prepared to yield their life to him. 
to yield him the far-reaching allegiance that real trust in him applies. One theologian says this is the most dangerous spiritual state. When we believe the things about Jesus, that he's the only way to heaven and we want to go to heaven, when we believe the things about Jesus, yet we do not submit our life, we do not yield our life in following him. This leads to what we've uh, referred to in the past as Dalmatian theology or spotted theology, where I want to follow Jesus in the places that make sense to me. Even as Thomas Jefferson took the word of God and cut out all the difficult passages, he wanted, he wanted a watered-down version of what it means to follow him. But that's not the real gospel. We can't just take some parts of the words and not others. We can't say, Jesus, man, I really like what you said about that part. That was awesome. But I don't, I'm not really jiving with this other thing. No, we don't have that option. This direction of following Jesus is one of obedience, of complete obedience. The direction of Jesus is following him in complete obedience. So he gives us the framework here. This is another one of those if statements. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And that's the phrase we're going to talk about for the next 15 minutes or so. If you abide in my word. One commentary defined it this way, that word abide means that we would welcome it, that we would bring it, uh, we would be at home with it. We'd be living with it so continuously that it becomes part of, the, uh, part of our lives. That abiding in the word is that there's this permanent influence or stimulus and every fresh advance of goodness and holiness is coming through our relationship with the word. This is not speaking of the cultural Christian who has a Bible, who walked an aisle maybe when they were in third or fourth or fifth grade as a young one, but they are divorced completely from the teachings and following Jesus. No, this call, if you would like to be my disciples, he tells this group of Jews who had believed him, if you really want to be my disciples, if you really want to follow me, then part of that requires a really character transformation that we follow him, that we abide in his word. Another translation says it this way, if you continue to obey my teaching, you're truly my disciples. Complete obedience. Whether it makes sense to me or not, the truth is partial obedience is disobedience. Listen, there's a lot of things in Scripture that I don't love so much. That part where Jesus says that we need to forgive 70 times 7, meaning that if someone continues to offend us and continues to offend us, and they are always that way, and when we're around them, all they do is offend them, what are we supposed to do then, Jesus? Oh, you just keep forgiving them. Wait, okay, like seven, seven times, right? The disciple said like seven times. Sure, man, that's, I mean, I'm being so gracious to go seven times and forgive someone for the same thing. And he says, no, 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 like 70 times 7. Or maybe the part where he calls us to bless those who persecute us. Listen, it's hard to be friends with some of my neighbors who have loud dogs or who shoot fireworks at midnight. It's hard for me to befriend them. Can you imagine what this actually, the call of Jesus on our lives, is to bless those, to actually be a blessing to those who intentionally persecute us? 
That is a high and holy and unattainable, impossible call, unless the very Spirit of God is working in your own heart to transform you into the image of Jesus, where we see Jesus hanging on the cross, being crucified by these criminals that are so cruel. And what is the prayer that he prays over them? Father, forgive them. We see in the heart and life of Jesus how this is supposed to be lived out. It was lived out through him, and it's really possible to be lived out through us, again, through the power of the Spirit. If you continue to obey my teachings, if you abide in my word, this is the call. This is walking with Jesus or being just like Jesus. This is what the world needs to see. They don't need to hear all of your opinions, even as great as they probably are. They need to see Jesus. Jesus. That's what they need to see. And this is the very thing that the church is supposed to be. A city on a hill. No one lights a lamp in a dark room and puts a basket over it. That would, that would make no sense. This is who we are. Jesus would say to his disciples, you are the light of the world. You are the agents of reconciliation. You're the ministers of change. You're the ones that are going to freely extend love, freely welcome people. The call from Jesus to us is one of complete obedience. Imagine the night before my wedding. And I sit down with Ashley and I said, man, I just, I can't believe this is so exciting to be here and we're just going to have uh, just the most fruitful marriage, I know. But I need to let you in on one little thing that I kind of plan to do. Is uh, I'm going to be faithful to you for 29 days of the month. 29 days, you're my woman, I'm your man, complete faithfulness. But that, if it's okay, if we can just write this kind of in the vows, I want one day where I can do whatever I want to. One day where I can just go be with whoever I want to. That, that's ludicrous, right? I mean, do you know my wife? Like, I would not be living, even if I had actually proposed. And if she didn't kill me, her dad certainly would have. But this is what we do to Jesus. We say, Jesus, I'm going to take you up on the heaven part, and I'm going to take you up on the abundant life part. You know what, Jesus? I want to take you up on the joy unspeakable and full of glory part. I'd actually like to take you up on the unspeakable, uh, the peace that's undescribable. I, I want to take you up on that part but not on all these other parts. A few things from this verse, real quick. One, that spiritual growth is an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process. If you continue in my teachings, if you continue to obey my teachings, if you abide in my word, there's this ongoing process. Spiritual growth is an ongoing process. There's no such thing as instant maturity. It's a journey of incremental steps. Think about this, just the way your kids grew up. You didn't go from changing diapers one day to buying a car and getting a license the next day for your kids. No, that didn't happen. There was a process of them growing up and learning how to walk and learning how to trust. And uh, the, the, their physical development grew and matured. It was a journey of incremental steps. And in the same way, now yes, through the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of change that can come quickly. But spiritual growth is this ongoing process. Let me let you in on a little secret. No one in this room has made it. None of us have been perfected. None of us are mature. We hopefully are maturing, looking more and more like Christ. Spiritual growth is an ongoing process. 
Look at Romans 12 with me just real quickly. This is Paul explaining to us this process of transformation. This is a verse you're likely very familiar with, Romans 12, verse 2. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Abiding in the word, God's word getting in our minds, filling our minds, renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This idea of metamorphosis is the actual word root. This ongoing process of changing into something else. Growing up. This quarantine, I, you know, we've been locked in our homes and I haven't seen a lot of people and I... It was last week or week before that, we went and served uh, at the Hub, and RJ showed up, and he looked like a whole foot taller. Like, before quarantine, he looked like a kid, and now I was a little scared of him. Not really scared, but a little bit. Um, he just grew up, and that's what happens, right? This is what should be happening in us, that we're maturing into the image of Christ. Can I ask you this question? Do you look more like Jesus today than you did just a few months ago? Maybe... Because of our pride, we might all say, yeah, of course I do. Maybe you should ask your wife that, or your husband that, or your spouse that, or your kids that, or your neighbors that. Transformed. Here's the second thing from the passage. Hold your place there in Romans 12. We're going to come back in just a second. Second truth from this passage in John 8, that spiritual growth is measured by obedience and not knowledge. Obedience. Not knowledge. If you abide in my word. Man, if that's not true for where we're at. A lot of people know, but they don't obey. And people love the second part of this verse. That they'll know the truth, and the truth will set them free. Everybody, since watching Braveheart, wants to be free, right? We want to, that's, that's our chant. That we, we want to be free people. But Jesus says that freedom comes through a process. And that process is following him and the direction that he's going. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth doesn't come just through knowledge. The truth comes when we know the word and we obey the word. This is what James would remind us of. Hey, don't be foolish, people. Don't so deceive yourselves just to hear the word and to not do it. That's like a man that looks in the mirror and immediately forgets what he looks like. No, no, we're supposed to be hearers and doers of the word. So we not only just know the word, but we abide in the word. We welcome it into our life. We set it up in our life as the ultimate authority, as the, as the foundation of everything that we do. Our whole life revolves around this. When we're stuck in a situation, we don't know the way forward. We, we ask, God, God, what, what's the way here? Every second of every day, this is the constant communication we have with the Lord Jesus. Show us the way forward. Paul would go on and tell us in Romans 12 to flip back over there. Give us, just give us a quick taste, Paul, of what it would look like for a Christian to really do this, to really be maturing. If I were to look at them, how would I know that they look just like Jesus? Okay, here's his list. Let love be genuine. Or maybe your translation says sincere. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. 
Oh, man, here's this one again. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Weep with those who are weeping. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. When's the last time we've been associating with the lowly? Never be wise in your own sight. I'll stop there because the pain is, is getting intense, but he keeps going. Paul just makes it a little clearer for us. Spiritual growth is measured by obedience, not knowledge. The third point is this. Spiritual growth is based on God's word and not human ideas. Spiritual growth is based on God's word. Knowing and doing the will of God as expressed through his word and illuminated to us by his spirit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, he says in John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this you are glorified. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to the watching world that you're actually my disciples. Spiritual growth is based on God's word. Here are the two things you really need in order to really grow through the word. One, you need a path and a process. You need a path. This is the way forward. We see Jesus on the way to the cross, and we're following him in this specific direction. We need a path. We need, we need some kind of regular diet of God's word. And before, and before the planning part of your brain just kind of checks out, man, this is important. We've got to know the word and memorize the word and meditate on the word and muse around the word. We've got to let it direct us and inspire us and challenge us and confront us. We've got to have a regular diet of the word. It would be like a man who hadn't eaten in 30 days going to the doctor and saying, Doctor, I just I seem to be fading away. Well, tell me about your diet. Well, I haven't eaten anything. Well, that's probably the problem. And for the Christian who comes to the pastor and says, Pastor, you know, my marriage is falling apart and um, my kids don't want to talk to me and, and all these things are happening. And the first question out of my mouth is, well, tell me about the word. Are you, are you, are you have a steady diet of the word of God in your life? And a hundred out of a hundred times. No, Pastor, I, not really. I just, you know, I, I just got, I, no got to get back to the word abiding in the word we need a path we need a reading plan we need some way that we can regularly have a diet of God's word in our lives we need a path of prayer this is what we tried to create this last week I mean this last month with um, our 30 by 30 challenge with the morning noon and night that we would we would reorient our lives around just this pattern of prayer of asking God to move in our heart and life we need a path forward and I would encourage you to get a family path forward, that you bring in your kids on this, that they know what we're reading today, that, that there's some, that, that they know. And I, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to, to myself here. There's so much better I could do in this and leading my own family. We need a path. And can I just say, I know we're reading through a, a, a two-year reading plan. And the only one I know that's still doing that is Jason. So he is the most righteous. Some of you are probably doing it too. Just include the Gospels in your daily reading plan. I just get so much fruit in my life from just seeing Jesus. So even if you're trudging through Lamentations, skip over to the Gospel and just read a few verses about the life of Jesus. 
man, it just confronts me and it inspires me. I fall in love with him again. You need a path, but you also need a process. You need a process. Who's going to help you discern and act in obedience? That verse we just read in, uh, in, in, in Romans 12, at, at the very end of uh, 15, 16, it says, Never be wise in your own sight. I love that. Who's helping you not be wise in your own sight? What's the process? You know, I love to golf. And you wouldn't know it by how often I golf. I golf about twice a year. But I, but I do love to golf. And um, there's one guy I go with, a pastor over in Dallas, um, who is like the best coach at golfing. So we get out there, and of course, I hadn't played in two years. And uh, I just say, hey, man, this might be rough. I haven't played in a couple of years. And he's like, man, it's okay. But after I swing, he gives me a few little pointers. And he's not one of those that's like talking down to me. He's just like, hey, man, if you would, if you would not strangle the golf club, I think you could probably hit it a little better. And if you would not swing with all of your might, you could probably hit it a little straighter. And I said, I, I'm not strangling, and, and I'm not hitting. And then he videos me while I swing, and then, you know, it looks like I'm, you know, murdering something. This is the value of a good friend who will walk with you and speak truth to you so that you're not wise in your own sight. This is the process. Who's going to call out your drift? Who's going to call out your laziness or lethargy? Who's going to be the one that says, I know you're saying this, but this is what your life actually looks like. Who's going to do that to you but do it in love? Not one with a big truth club whacking you over the head every time, but someone who can speak gently to you and remind you of the ways of Jesus. You need someone. You need a path. You need a process. Someone holds you accountable. We've been teaching this for a long time, kind of the six kind of things. Let me give you six quick things. Some of these are going to be super familiar to you. When you get out the word, this is how God speaks us through the word, and then we obey it, as James would warn us to do. Don't be hearers only, but, but, but doers of the word. One, we observe, right, the character of God. We let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to us. The first is observing. And then we reflect on it. We let it marinate in our own hearts just a little bit. And then we discuss it. We discuss it with the Lord and we discuss it with a close friend. This most often is where the word of God becomes tangible to me. It's not just some ethereal idea anymore. It's like, you know, God's word just says that we should bless those who persecute us. And then if you're discussing this with someone, I would say, well, what do you think that means? What does it mean to me? What is, what, I mean, how does it apply to me? We know what it means. What is, how does it apply to my life? We would reflect on it. We would discuss it. We would come up with a plan of obedience. How can I actually take a step of blessing someone who's persecuting me? The fourth part was have a plan. Observe, reflect, discuss, have a plan, then account. Well, this is where we need the accountability. This is what I do with my little discipleship men's group, that we would have a plan. How, how are you going to live out the truth? God spoke to you. We discussed it. How are you going to live it out this week? Oh, I need to go forgive someone. I need to seek to intentionally bless someone who's been persecuting me. I, you know, I said some things in slander and gossip that really offended someone. I need to go apologize for that. We need to have accountability. And then finally, we need to act. What we do in our little group is we just celebrate these steps of faith, these steps of obedience. Maybe you would write those six things down when you read God's word today or tomorrow or the next day that you would think to observe and reflect and discuss it with someone Get a plan and then act upon it. Without boundaries and accountability, our life will always drift towards comfort 
and ease. Listen, my hope for the church, my hope for my own life is we'd be transformed into the image of Jesus. Would you pray with me toward that end? If you would like prayer today, um, we don't have the normal thing that we normally do, but you could certainly let us know that on a comment card. If those of our friends that are watching online, if you click that link at the bottom, let us know how we can pray for you, how we can help you. God, I pray for the church. I pray for the global church, churches all around the world that are seeking to walk the way of Jesus to represent Jesus, to be just like Jesus in a really dark and confusing world. I pray for the churches in our city. Lord, that increasingly so, that we would spend less and less time trying to create believers and not disciples. Lord, help us to be disciples. And I pray for our church. Lord, you know we, we have a long way to go. So, Lord, would you do something in our heart and our life that we would follow you, we would look like you, that we'd be transformed into your image. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.